Well, hello there and welcome to the Speak Up with Laura Camacho podcast. This is episode number 204. And today we are going to talk to somebody in New York City. It's kind of a legend. Our guest today is Bob Dylan Schneider. We had this interview from a cab, like he was in a cab in New York City on his way to a meeting. So there was a little bit of weird sound for just a minute or two. I don't know if Stanley, our amazing podcast editor, is going to get that out. But listen, Bob is old school. Bob is a legend. He is not politically correct at all. So if you're squeamish, do not listen to this. He he said some things and I just was a little like, oh, okay. Now, nothing offensive. I didn't find it offensive, but then I'm kind of old school too. But anyway, great tips on influence and powers. And he uses the P word. Yes, power. Influence and power. Having power over others doesn't really interest me. I don't know if it interests you, but what he defines power as Like you have something that people want. It is nice that people seek your help or want your advice or want you to introduce them to somebody. So if you think of power that way. Anyway, it was very interesting to talk to Bob Dylan Schneider. This episode is brought to you by Polish Your Pitch. It's a free class that I offer you. And it's the sponsor of this podcast. And it's because I want you to be so good at asking for things because that will increase your influence when you no longer get wigged out and just ask, ask, ask. You ask for a raise, for the cream you want in your coffee and the water with no ice and getting another person on your team and getting on that project really makes a difference in your career and your life, really. It's not just that getting the things, it's just not having that hold you back, right? So that is the sponsor of our episode today. And I will bring you Mr. Bob Dylan Schneider. So, Bob, this is so exciting to have you here. You're kind of a legend, I think, in the publishing PR world. Lots of interesting stories in your book. And before we get into talking about communication, I want to talk about one of your stories because usually you read about these celebrities that everybody's heard of and You know, it's nice, but you mentioned Alexander Solzhenitsyn, which I am like a groupie of his. I've read many of his books and I want to tell our audience briefly who he is. And then I want you to tell me about that because he's a historical figure. So guys, Alexander Solzhenitsyn was a Soviet dissident back in the day. And from a communication point of view, he's super important because He brought attention to what was going on really in the Soviet Union, the gulag, their concentration camps, through his novels, whereas the reports that had come out that probably gave more accurate and precise information, people were ignoring, no big deal. But when he tells a story about what it's like to be in one of those camps, that somehow captured the public imagination and you know, stories are what resonate with people when facts don't. That's what I say. Facts do not sell. Facts tell. It's emotion that sells and we need the story. So I would love to hear what was your experience with Solzhenitsyn? What did you think? First of all, let me say thank you for being on the show. I really appreciate that. Your show is well known and it's a real privilege to be on the show. So that's number one. Thank you. With respect to Alexander Solzhenitsyn, he was actually from the Moscow area. I met him in New York City at the River Club at the request of 
a number of members of the River Club. We spent probably an hour and a half together, and I talked to him about how to make a statement in New York City and the United States generally. And I know he observed it, and I think he did a few of the things that I suggested. There was no question in my mind that this was a man who believed destiny was the step away, never quite got there. Well, if you're interested in studying or learning a little bit about Solzhenitsyn, because I think on YouTube there is his Harvard address and from, I think, 1979 or 77. And is an example of how communication, how telling a story, a true story in an intelligent way. And he has these books about the life in these prison camps. But it's funny. He has a great sense of humor. Like you're reading these terrible things, but he has such a humor about it. I'm laughing out loud. I will tell you, I once had a client, and uh, I had to go to Irkutsk. Irkutsk is in Siberia. And I went to the longest aluminum plant in the world, two miles long. And I said to my host, how do we enter the plant? He said, you can go any one of 20 or 30 doors. Well, and they were there. Leaving the plant, I got back to Moscow. And I met with Solzhenitsyn. This is a long time ago. He was very nervous. And I said, well, what's the problem? And he said, this could be my final days in Russia. Solzhenitsyn was kind of the rabbi for a man named Nemtov, Boris Nemtov. I became very close to Boris. We went to the World Economic Forum together, and he was a really smart guy. He was assassinated on the bridge over the river in Moscow. And his wife called me and said, would I come over and do the eulogy for him? I said, as much as I like you and like your husband, I just can't do it. I mm-hmm. was very concerned that if I did that, I would be assessed. <laughs> These people stop at nothing. I mean, they do whatever they have to do. Pretty risky. That's right. Well, so how many people in the audience have talked to somebody who actually knows people who get assassinated, for heaven's sakes? I mean, not to make that a laughing matter, but it's quite a remarkable thing. You've had a super interesting life and you have kind of compiled your knowledge into a book called The Ultimate Guide to Power and Influence, which is a great kind of an introductory world to having a career. I don't know about your story in this aspect, but my parents had never worked in a company and I didn't know anybody and I didn't know what networking was or what internships were, even though I went to college and was a good student and all that. And you really kind of lay it out. There's so much that you don't learn in school, no matter how many degrees you have. There are things that you don't learn in school that you need to be successful in a career. Would you agree? I would agree. The first version of Power and Influence I wrote was about 40 years ago. It was a bestseller. Oh, wow. And my publisher came to me, obviously, about a year ago and said, so much has happened since the first one. Well, let's update it. So what I did was I went out and I interviewed for the book a number of young people. And I wanted to find out what was interesting for young people. And a lot of that is in the book. Mm -hmm. But a lot of the things that young people said were things they didn't know. So I wrote about them in the book. I don't know what's going to happen going forward, but for three weeks, it's been one of the best summer list again. We'll see. Congratulations. Yes. And I told him before we started recording that there are three chapters that I'm going to focus on because, of course, one of them has to do with communication. And listen to this, everybody. He says, you have a choice 
You can be a great communicator or you can ignore outreach. Effective communication is the essential skill for achieving and maintaining power and influence. So that kind of flies in the face of this idea that is who you know, going to Ivy League schools. It's if you don't have connections, then you're not going to have influence or power. So what say you to that? First of all, the Ivy League school. And I went to Notre Dame, which is not Ivy League. But I worked with a law firm once as a client in Chicago, Baird, Brown, and Platt. And we developed a recruitment strategy because everybody was recruiting at Harvard and Yale. Our strategy was to recruit at the second level because we wanted to get young men and women who were hungry. And we did. And these young men and women altered this law firm to a very high position. The issue really, I think, that we're talking about is you have to look within yourself and say, am I a good communicator? Do I want to be a good communicator? And if you can do that, then you can actually master some of the techniques that have to be applied. Yes. He says you have to pay attention, you have to focus, and you have to have clear thinking. And I think that as someone who helps people communicate better, so much of our work is just clarifying what they want to say. What is the question they want to ask? Please hire me, but you don't need a coach for that. You can do it on your own, but it does take preparation. You know, a lot of people think that there are some people who are just naturally good, gift of the gab, and they just wing it all the time and sound eloquent. But I think that it's really more a preparation. It's not just preparation, but you got to keep it short. A man named John Hess, worked for the New York Times, and was a great friend of mine, came over, this is a number of years ago, and we were working on a book. And I wrote the first paragraph, and he was a friend now. He looked over his glasses and he said, this won't do. I said, what do you mean? He said, it's too long. You've got to put this in one or two short sentences to start the book. And he said, after that, you have to use examples. So I wrote one or two sentences. I gave the Hess. I said, he said, these are much too long. You need to shorten them. Get it down to a few words, which I eventually did. But having an editor like John Hess made a huge difference. He was the Paris bureau chief of the New York Times. And we had a great time sitting in French cafes talking about the book. Awesome. That's true. Getting to the point. But then I will have people who will push back and say, Bob, but I'm being told that I'm too blunt, that I'm just not being sensitive, not being empathetic, because I'm just saying it like it is. How would you respond to that? You've got to care about other people and about other situations and put yourself in third or fourth place. You need to really think about the person you're communicating to, whatever their interests are in first place. Many examples of this in the book. Yeah, so then I would say, if you've been told that you're too blunt or too direct, maybe that's not actually what they mean. What they really mean is you're not caring or you're not communicating that you care about the people. Blunness is exactly that. Many years ago, I worked in a company and we were part of a warehouse, which was a very large forest products firm. And a guy named Don, I won't use his last name, Don addressed us about, oh, maybe three or four times. And he was so blunt, so focused on himself, so into himself, and what he wanted to tell us. The second time, several of us went up to him and said, look, we think you're a great guy, but you're talking to us and tell us about our Artie's artists. And he snapped back and said, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do it this way. 
And one of us said, we think you'll lose your job, which he did. <laughs> he lost their job because he was too blunt. Okay. But it wasn't because he was too blunt. It was because he didn't care about the people. So there's a lot of trends. You know, a lot has happened since you wrote the book the first time or the first edition. And I love, it was, I think it's the shortest chapter though. I was a little disappointed. I wanted more on this about predicting trends because I think as far as persuasion and winning arguments and pitching, when you can connect your idea, your solution, what you want to trends, factual trends, then that's going to have a better chance of winning, right? You've got to know what's going on out there in the world. And as we're talking here today, some of the major trends that are gripping the United States and back the world is, frankly, how are we going to deal with gays? How do we win? gays into society without causing them a problem. That's a major trend and a big mm -hmm. issue. Another big one is how do we deal with Ukraine? People don't realize how strong Russia is and the pressure that Russia and the Chinese are putting on other countries and other leaders to not support the Ukraine. So it's trends like that are extremely important to understand. So how do we find out these trends, though? I mean, those are like big trends. I want to know more about this. It says, you can accurately predict enough of the future to make all the difference. In fact, you can hone your ability to trigger a burst of accurate insight about the future and use it to produce. Oh, this wasn't you. This was Daniel Burris. But what do you think about that? How do we do that? I think you have to think about trends. If you're in a company, what are the trends that affect that company? It's dealing with another executive, one of the trends that are important to him. How do you get a feeling on all that? Well, one of the ways to do it is by reading the New York Times mm -hmm. and the Wall Street Journal. And forgive me, what people consider secondary publications. Secondary publications are very important. So read Barron's. It'll mm -hmm. be tired. It'll be boring. But there are a lot of trends in there that'll jump off the page. All right, guys, barons for trends. But the thing is, if you bring that up in a conversation, you're immediately talking about something that people want to hear. And one trend he mentioned is people not having enough babies, our birth rate going down. That's another trend. And then there's the China. Oh, and India. You make the statement somewhere, I believe, that you think India is on the ascent. Are you still believe that? We're uh, minutes away from India becoming the most important country in the world. Mr. Modi, who is the prime minister, has the biggest population in the world. He's got one of the biggest land masses. Mr. Xi in China has a bigger land mass. But at the end of the day, the Indians try to create a relationship with the rest of us all around the world are going to succeed. It will be the country that the next president and the president after that has to deal with. All right. Well, you guys, you heard it first here. I'll speak up with Laura Camacho from Robert Dylan Scheider. And you don't have to be a vice president. You know, a lot of people listening are directors. They're like kind of in the middle of the corporate food chain. And I think that's a way you can stand out, right, is by being in touch with the trends. All right. So leading on the edge. What does that mean for you? Don't be part of the back. Uh, look for opportunities to get out there if you possibly can. Now, let's say we're talking about women. Women dressing in a popular way 
not done aggressively, but wearing certain clothes and certain adornment without being in your face, that's extremely important. So, forgive me, some women who might not be that attractive can become tremendously attractive if they know what they're doing. Leaning on the edge, when you're sitting down with somebody, let's say you're in New York, you can commiserate with them tonight on the midst of the Yankees. We're doing a very poor job. But that's leading on the edge because your person you're communicating with is going to immediately relate to, and they're going to want to talk more about it. And that gives you an opportunity to insert your message or what you're actually really trying to achieve. So that's what that's all about. Know what's going on in the world. You talked to Dr. Zoe Chance at Yale School of Management and talks about influence superpower. Oh, guys, listen to this. This is a good question that you can use, rinse and repeat when there's any kind of conflict. I think, what would it take for us to resolve this? Is that a question that you've used? If you're in conflict with somebody, significant conflict or modest conflict, just take a deep breath, sit back and say nothing for a short period of time, and then say to your person on the other side of the conflict, how are we going to solve this? How are you and I going to come together and make a one plus one equals three or five? We can do that. So let's not be opposed to one another. Let's talk about how we can make progress. Most people, that generally works. It's hard to remember in the moment to, to back off and not take it personally and not be defensive, right? And so that I think this question of, again, I'll say it again, how can we resolve this? You know, that's also helping you to think outside the current possibilities and maybe think of an alternative, right? That you haven't thought of before. That's exactly right. So, Bob, somebody is new to a company. Let's say they've been, you know, recently changed jobs. They're coming on as senior director of engineering or finance, this or that. What do you recommend as far as finding out the informal power structure of the new company? Virtually every company has a moment where you can do that. Marathon Oil Company, great company. Every morning at 10 o'clock in the morning, they had coffee for everybody. Everybody went down and had coffee. So go down and have coffee or go down and be part of the team. And at that point, talk to other people and listen to what they have to say. Don't tell them your position. Listen to them. You'll learn a lot that by doing Ask them questions. But don't be in their face. Very important. Listen, ask them questions, get information. That will enable you to be part of the company right away. Then look at the company's competition. Who's out there fighting for the space that the company now enjoys? What are they doing and how are they doing it? And how can you talk to other people in your company about that and get their opinions? All those things add up and you'll be a better player if you do them. Just go have conversations with people and you'll find out, right, right away. So your book is about power and influence. And I talk a lot about influence in my world. And I don't ever talk about power because to me, I think of that as political power, but you did. So tell me why, why the power? You can have power, but don't ever talk about having power. <laughs> That's very important. Okay, so duly noted. People want to listen to you. People want to hear what you had to say. That's powerful. Don't ever tell people that you're powerful, though. Be a big mistake. People 
want to get things from you one way or another. That's power you have because you've got the things people want to have. Just be very careful in how you parcel out the information or whatever you're told. And whatever you do, don't tell people you want or have power. That's a big mistake. All right. (laughs) Okay. Well, good. We haven't been talking about now. We know that's a taboo. Don't mention it. Just do it. (laughs) That's one thing you don't talk about. You just, you just do it. So that's interesting. There was one other thing I wanted to address before we start wrapping this up, because it's a question that you address. I'm flipping back to your communication expertise. And you talk about words that word choices make a difference. And they do. You know, if my son tells me he's going out with somebody hot versus a beautiful woman, you know, there's a, those two word choices communicate different things about it. They certainly do. Right. But a lot of people that I work with, when they're in these meetings with lots of people, especially if they're senior leaders, their brain doesn't work as well. And they say, what can I do to use better words? Is it a matter of acquiring vaster vocabulary through reading? Or what What do you say? It's a couple of things. One is, whatever you say, make it short and sweet. Don't make it a, a big, long, engaged paragraph. Not necessary. So short and sweet. Number two, think about words that will pull in the listener that relate to the listener's interests. If the listener is a guy or a woman in the engineering department, talk about engineering a little bit, even though you might not know that much about it. If you do that, they'll start talking with you. They'll give you information that could be extremely helpful to you. So there are all kinds of ways to think about engaging people in conversation. Uh, They're in the book. Take advantage of it. All right. Well, this has been very interesting, Bob, and keeping it short and sweet. I don't want to prolong our interview, but if there's something that I haven't asked you that you think our audience should hear or something that you would like to share with them, please have the last word. I'd like to assume the audience that they're fortunate that one of your caliber is broadcasting today. And I'm going to say to the audience that I'm going to invite you to a lunch in New York the next time you're here, and we'll use some of these lessons. So that'll be a very important thing to do. I'm writing that down, Bob. That is awesome. You're very kind. So I'll let y'all know when Bob and I are having lunch. Thank you so much. And everyone will catch you on the next episode.